Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We have to make sure that we are thinking about and the things that we say are demonstrating that we really understand where the good in good life comes from. Not from the possessions that we have or the earthly security that we have, but in the privilege of having a relationship with God. Life has a way of throwing a few curves, doesn't it? Everything can be going great, and before you even know what's happened, you walk straight into some circumstance or trial that has you wondering what in the world is going on. You could say it's a fiery furnace experience. What do you do when those times come? Acts 5.29, short and sweet, we must obey God rather than men. Do you and I live our lives with that? motto, that idea at hand. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're back in chapter three of the book of Daniel in our series from that great Old Testament book entitled Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. As we've already seen in this series, Daniel was a man of great faith. But in chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are front and center, and it's their turn to show some faith qualities. As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, those three young men didn't have Daniel with them in this fiery furnace experience. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to have to stand on their own faith. But as we'll see today, they didn't have to stand alone. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's very relevant message for our lives. If you could be a fly on the wall in my study during sermon prep time, it's, it's an interesting time. I just never quite know how it's going to go. And sometimes my mind will just drift off into just something, you know, some idea or whatever. So uh, Friday uh, evening, Friday night, and uh, yesterday I just, I have no idea. But next thing I knew, I'm writing a rap. I'm writing a rap about the book, of, about the Daniel chapter 3. I'm writing a rap about Daniel chapter 3. And uh, I know at, uh, yeah, at my age, I probably shouldn't be writing raps. I sure shouldn't be doing raps. Uh, but but I, for, for the life of me, I couldn't get anybody to volunteer today. I'm walking around here trying to get somebody to rap. Will you rap this, this song? And nobody could. And, and it, as best I can tell, there's no sense in wasting a perfectly good rap. And so, uh, so my apologies to my son and daughter-in-law who are here and will have to endure this. Uh, fortunately, my wife is uh, out of town and won't be back until... Uh, later, but uh, just, you know, we read Daniel chapter 3 last week. We're going to read it again this week because that's a much more accurate version than what you're about to get. But I thought just the way to start, we'll do a rap. Is rap okay? Well, I don't know what Rocky just said, but I'm sure I don't, I don't want to know. All right, here we go. Here we go. Man, I wish I could do the moves too, but I just, I, I can't, I can't do it. All right, uh, here we go. Daniel chapter 3. Is that, if you were here last week or if you read the story before, you know, the, the fiery furnace, all that kind of stuff. Just kind of bring you up to speed. All right. King made an image, golden statue, said everybody, worship is due. But the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego said, sorry, king, but no, no, no. King said, guys, I got a furnace that's hot. You better bow down. You'll be a tater tot. Now, here's what you do when the band starts to play. Worship my image or this very day. I'll have you tied up, picked up, and thrown inside. I'll heat it so hot you'll be crispy fried. (laughs) 
But the Hebrew posse said, strike up that band, but we won't bow down. We're going to take a stand because our God is able. He's really strong. And what you want us to do, king, is really wrong. Now listen up, king, because we're not through. Even if he don't save us, we won't bow to you because your image may be golden and your, and your name is great. But what you want us to do would be a big mistake. So the king got angry and his face turned red and he said to his guards, I want them dead. So they threw him inside. But when they hit the floor, the king said, wait a minute, boys, I think I count four. Wait. (laughs) Now check it out, king. You thought your furnace was dope. What you think now? Don't even smell like smoke. There you go. There you go. It's okay, by the way, uh, if, if you're new here, it's okay to laugh at church. Lightning don't strike most times or that sort of thing. God is a God that loves us and provides for us. And, and I think that was actually pretty scripturally accurate. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about uh, those fiery furnace experiences of our lives and some stands. Let's start with this idea this morning. We should stand up to the pressure of the furnace. I'm going to read Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We should stand up to the pressure of the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits. And its width was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. I mentioned last week... Uh, But up to this point in chapter 3, not a whole lot has been said about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What we do know up to this point is that Daniel is clearly the leader of this this, uh, small group of Jewish men that are taking a stand for God. Daniel is clearly the leader. Daniel took the lead in chapter 1 and said, guys, we're not going to eat the king's choice food. Daniel took the lead in chapter 2. When he said, guys, we're going to pray and ask God to give us uh, the dream and the interpretation of the dream. But now in chapter 3, 
Daniel's nowhere to be found. As I said last week, we don't know where he is. We don't know if he's gone on a trip. We, we, don't, we don't know. He's just not mentioned. He's not there. We don't know anything about Daniel in chapter 3. And about this time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are probably feeling like, sort of like, the third violinist who has just been asked to do the solo because the first and second violinists have called in sick. It might be a little exciting, but it's probably a lot terrifying. And it is in that moment and those moments that we find out what we really, listen, what we really believe. That's when we find out that this, this word called faith is more than a word that's just thrown around at church. That's when we find out if this whole God thing actually means anything to us at all or not. It is in those experiences that we discover what we really believe. And like the, like the paparazzi at a Justin Bieber sighting, everybody shows up. Now, they're ordered to be there to not just look at the statue, but to bow down and worship the statue. And that's when it's crunch time. That's when you have to decide, are we going to just go with the flow? Are we just going to, to, to bow down like everybody else? Or are we going to stand up against the pressure of the furnace? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, nice story, dude. But I'm probably never going to have to bow down to a golden image. You're right. You'll probably never have to physically, literally bow down to an actual image. But remember, Nebuchadnezzar's image, Nebuchadnezzar's statue was a replacement for God. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's intention was that his statue, his image would take the place, would take the priority in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's lives and over their God. You remember the... the, the interpretation that Daniel gave in chapter 2 about this, this image earlier, about these empires that would come and go. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue on his own. This statue that uh, is roughly 90 feet tall and roughly 9 feet wide. And if I were a betting man, I would bet that it looked remarkably similar to the image, the statue that, Daniel, that, that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about in chapter 2, with one notable exception. Whereas the, the image in chapter 2, in his, his dream, he dreamed about a statue in chapter 2, and it was made out of multiple materials, right? Symbolizing multiple kingdoms, multiple empires that would come and go. In chapter 3, Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue, but this time he builds it out of pure gold, solid gold. The whole thing is made of gold. Thereby symbolizing, oh no, almost in defiance to God's vision. Oh no, my empire will not end. Because you remember? You remember Daniel's interpretation? And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar liked it, at least at first. I'm sure he liked the fact that, that, his, uh, that his empire was at the top, so to speak. I'm sure he liked the fact that his image, that his empire was symbolized by gold. Up to that point, he probably thought Daniel's interpretation is great. Up until he hears those words, and after you will come another kingdom. Uh, he didn't like that. Most 
kings and empires don't. So he builds a statue in chapter 3 and makes the whole thing out of gold, thereby saying, it's basically saying, there, God, I'll show you. My kingdom will go on forever. And he has, has, is demanding for everybody there, but in this case for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for them to replace their God being priority in their lives with him. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, you and I will probably never physically be expected to bow down to a statue. But I'm telling you, our culture, listen to me, our culture, the world in which we live is constantly pressuring us to supplant God's position in our lives. It is constantly. And sometimes, can I tell you this? And I, Some of you aren't even, we, we, we live with it so much every day that you're not even aware of the pressures that, that you are under to compromise God's position in your lives. Would you like me to give you an example? Okay. Remember, you asked for this example. I kind of tricked you into it, but you still asked. For those of us who are parents or have been parents, when our kids are growing up, they go to school, what is it we say to them? We say to them, you need to go, you need to get good grades. Right? We do that. You need to get good grades. And everybody already knows the answer, but should they ask, well, why should I get good grades? We tell them, because with good grades, you can get into a good college. And everybody already knows the answer, but should they ask, why should I get good grades so that I can get into a good college or even go to college at all? We say, because with good grades and a good college, you can get a good job. You can have a good career. And should they ask, even though everybody already knows, why should I get good grades to go to a good college to have a good career? We say, so you can have a good life. Right? Because with, a, a, with good grades and a good college and a, and a good career... You can have a good life. You can, you can have a, a, a nice house, a, a nice car, a nice 401k, a nice paycheck, nice benefits. Take nice vacations. It'll be a good life. Have we not in that moment just said to our children that it is the, that is the possessions of life that, that bring happiness and bring goodness and that security in life is based on the size of your paycheck? Now listen, I understand why the culture, why the, why the world would promote that idea. Because uh, if, all, if you live only for this life, then what you get in this life is all there is. And so climbing the corporate ladder, moving into a nicer neighborhood, driving the fancier car, uh, those kind of things are, are all there is. So those are the things that they're going to go for. I understand why the culture in the world promotes that idea. But what about those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ and pledge allegiance to him? Are we not... If we promote that idea, are we not saying to our children, bow down and worship the golden image? Now, <laughs> before the parents in here start looking for a rope, let me say a couple of things. Number one, we should work as hard as or harder than anybody. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we should work. I should be the very best student that I can be. The very best parent, the very best husband, the very best employee, the very best neighbor. I should be all of those things. And, and if, it's, if, it's just, if I'm a student and if it's not straight A's because maybe I'm not as gifted as somebody or, or I, I struggle in one discipline or another. If it's not straight A's, it shouldn't be from lack of trying. I should, I should work to be the very best that I can be. Maybe you've seen this passage, Colossians chapter 3. In all the work you're doing... Work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. 
Remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. So I should work to be the very best, to do the very best that I possibly can. But watch this, not for what I can get out of it, but for what I can give God through it. Namely, glory and honor. That's what we should tell our kids. That's why we should, should push them to be the best that they can be. Oh, the second thing I want to say, by the way, is that uh, bigger houses or nicer cars or, or a good paycheck, those things are not in themselves bad. They're not wrong. They're, they're not. And in some sense, they're a natural byproduct of a hard work discipline. If I work hard, if I put in the time, if I, if I get good grades, if I do all the kind of stuff and get a good career, then it's kind of as a natural byproduct. I'm probably going to make more money. I'm probably going to be able to afford, you know, some nicer things. So those things in themselves are, are not wrong. But we have to make sure that we are thinking about and, and, and the things that we say are demonstrating that we really understand where the good in good life comes from. And not from the possessions that we have or the earthly security that we have, but in the, in the privilege of having a relationship with God and being able to serve Him with our lives. Okay? Parents, not going to kill me? All right. Okay. All right, I, I know that's only one, that's just one example. I know we got to move on. But listen, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's constant. It's, 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 it's in our culture. You're gonna fa- you're, you do face it all the time. And you just have to decide in those moments whether you're going to stand up to the pressure that you are facing. Our culture tells us, um, have sex before you're married. God says, save sex for marriage. In essence, the culture says, we're putting this image up. Sex is for anybody at any time. Anywhere is good. God says sex is this fantastic, beautiful, wonderful, awesome gift that is given to be shared in covenant marriage between one man and one woman. So who's, so who's going who's, who's gonna to be? Is, is God in his place of preeminence and priority or is the man-made image? You see what I'm saying? It's out there, folks. It's all out there. And you and I have to, we just have to decide. Am I going to bow down? Am I going to go with everybody else or am I going to stand up? Because listen, the sex thing, all right? Try going out into our culture and promote it. Try, if our students go to high school or middle school tomorrow and, and, and say that out loud at the cafeteria at the table, laughed at, mocked, ridiculed, probably pressured to just, just, just shut up, just bow down, just give in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up to the pressure. All right, here, here's another standing idea this morning. We can stand firm in the face of the furnace. I'm going to have to hurry here this morning. We can stand firm in the face of the furnace. That rap was entirely too long. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, well, y'all know all those instruments, but whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. Namely, I mean, if if we're naming names, king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true? I don't think he can even believe it. That somebody would defy his orders. 
Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. We don't, we don't need to say nothing, king. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I can say this without question, unequivocally, even though I wasn't there, I can say this. King Nebuchadnezzar has never been talked to that way before. But if you're going to stand up, you've got to be ready to stand firm with whatever comes against you. Because it's coming against you if you stand up. I, 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 I love this I love this encounter here. I, I, I love how, by the way, let me just say, uh, these guys that rat, rat out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they almost certainly are part of the same bunch that, that they and Daniel saved in chapter 2. Remember, the, if you remember, the king was going to kill all of them because none of them could tell him his dream or its interpretation. He's going to kill all of them. And Daniel specifically says, no, king, don't, don't kill anybody. And I know the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sure they weren't particularly close uh, to these guys, but the truth is they owed their lives to these young men. And they return the favor by turning on them as soon as they get the opportunity. That'll happen in life sometimes, won't it? But in, in verse 13, uh, the king just flies into a rage over this fact that, they, that these men would, would dare to stand up to him. And then don't miss that little phrase at the tail end of verse 15. And what God is there who will deliver you out of my hand? That little phrase at the tail end of verse 15 indicates that Nebuchadnezzar, listen to me, Nebuchadnezzar knew exactly why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taking this stand. There's no reason for him to make that statement if he doesn't know that it has something to do with their belief system. He knows that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a strong devotion to their God and he intends to break that devotion. He had no problem. There's no problem with their devotion as long as it doesn't supplant what he wants and that's their devotion to him has to be greater. And you just have to decide, you're going to stand firm or not stand firm. I, I, let me just run through this. I, I, uh, some of you know I, I, I'm a student of history. I, I love reading about history, particularly church history. And I've used uh, uh, this book from time to time in the past, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a, it's a record of men and women who have uh, been put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ throughout history or through the time that, that this was up through which this was written. Um, I want to read you a story, and quite honestly, it's a story that I've read uh, a couple of years ago before of a young lady named Rose, but I'm just, I'm just enamored with Rose and uh, her stance. If I remember right, she's a 17-year-old young lady, just a teenager, and uh, I know it, it's kind of hard to jump into the middle of it, maybe quite understand it, but in those days, for people that stood on the Word of God and said salvation is by grace through faith alone, that it's not through the church, it's not, it's not you know, being a good Catholic is not that it's only in faith in Christ alone for salvation. And the word of God is our authority. And men and women were, were arrested. Men and women were put to death. Men and women were burned at the stake or drowned or any number of cruel ways in which they were put to death for taking this stand. This is the story of, of Rose. I'm going to try. It's, it's kind of written in the King's English, kind of old Elizabethan style. I'm going to try and translate it as we go, but we'll see how that comes out. Uh, Mr. Mr. Tyrell, with a certain of his company, went into the 
bedroom where Father Mount and his wife lay. He wanted them to get up, for he said, you must go with us to Colchester Castle. Mother Mount, hearing that, being very sick, desired that her daughter might first go and get her a drink, for she was, she said, very ill at ease. So Mr. Tyrell gave leave to the daughter, told her to go. So her daughter rose, took a stone pot in one hand and a candle in the other, and went to draw a drink for her mother. And as she came back towards the house, Mr. Tyrell met her and wanted her to give her father and mother some good counsel and advise them that they needed to repent and be good, be better Catholic people. Rose said, Sir, they have a better instructor than I am, for the Holy Spirit teaches them, I hope, which I trust he will not suffer them to error. Why, said Mr. Tyrell, are you still in that mind, you naughty girl? It's time to look upon such heretics as you. Rose, sir, with that which you call heresy, do I worship my Lord God, I tell you the truth, Mr. Tyrell. Then I believe that you will burn gossip with the rest of them for company's sake. Rose, no, sir, not for company's sake, but for my Christ's sake. If so, I be compelled. And I hope in his mercies, if he calls me to do it, he will enable me to bear it. So he... Mr. Tyrell, turning to his company, said, Sirs, this gossip will burn, do you not think? Someone responds, Prove her, and you shall see what she will do by and by. And then that cruel Mr. Tyrell, taking the candle from her, held her wrist and the burning candle under her hand, burning crosswise over the back thereof so long till the very sinews cracked asunder, in which his in which time of his tyranny he said, repeat it to her, won't you cry out? Won't you cry out? Unto which she answered that she had no cause. She thanked God, but rather to rejoice, and that he had more cause to weep than she, if he considered this a good thing to do to her. In the end he thrust her from him violently, but she quietly suffered his rage for the time, and at the last said, Sir, have you done what you will do with me? And he said, Yes, if you think it's good, then mend it. Mend it, said Rose. No, the Lord mend you and give you repentance, if that be his will. And now if you think it good, begin at the feet and burn to the head also. For he that set you a work shall pay you your wages one day, I warrant you. And so she went and carried her mother drink as she was commanded. Colchester, England, 1557. Standing firm in the face of the furnace is not an easy thing to do. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there's this story. Uh, not long after Jesus had risen from the grave and hung out with his disciples for a while, then he went back to heaven. The disciples, they just, they just, they just went everywhere telling everybody that Jesus was alive, that he was the Savior and he was coming back again. you it was as if they believed it. <laughs> and I mean, they was whenever Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, he came, he died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. Uh, yeah, the, the religious leaders, they put him to death, but they couldn't keep him in the grave and he's coming back again. 
Well, the people in Jerusalem, they're just going nuts hearing all this stuff. And they're responding. People are getting saved. They're giving their life to Christ. And so the religious leaders have uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles arrested. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all the Bible. They have them arrested. And they, and they threaten them with death. We, we will put you to death if you don't shut up and stop preaching in this man's name. Acts 5.29. Short and sweet. We must obey God rather than men. Let me just ask you this. Then, then we'll... Uh, do you... And I live our lives with that motto, that idea in hand. I must obey God rather than men. Oh, well, you know, uh, you ought to just go ahead and do it because everybody else is doing it. You ought to just, do I obey God rather than men? Oh, well, you know, you ought to uh, consider this or have you thought about it? I must obey God rather than men. And you and I have to determine whether we're going to do that or not. It is not easy to stand up. And once we do stand up, we know what's going to come against us, or there certainly is more than likely going to be something to come against us. And it is not easy to stand firm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Man, I love their response. There's, no, there's not a hint of fear. There's not a hint of anxiety. They seem cool. They seem calm. They seem collected. They have no intention of begging for their life. They have no intention of trying to talk the king out of it or smooth it over or excuse it away. They just said, King, we will not bow down to your image. Now, our God can save us. We don't know if he will or not, but our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, King, we'll never bow down because we're already subjects of a kingdom. We already have a Lord of our lives. He's Jehovah God, and we will not bow to you, King. We're going to stop here. We're going to close here. But can I just say to you this morning to give some thought to that idea? Am I willing to stand up in the pressures that are there. And I, and I hope as you leave here this week, you'll be more acutely aware of places where the world wants you to compromise and give in, or at the very least, sit down and shut up. You have to decide whether you're going to stand up to that pressure, and then whether you're going to stand firm when it really, can, when it really comes crunch time, when they're tying you up and ready to throw you in the furnace. And we'll talk more about that and our furnace experiences next week. But when, when it really comes crunch time, am I willing to stand firm, no matter what the consequences may be? What a great story of faith. Most of us will probably never be faced with all that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced, but we do face trials and hardships in life. They are, in a sense, our fiery furnace experiences. And as Pastor Clay reminded us today, it's in these moments that we find out what we really believe. But as we heard today, when you stand up for God, you never stand alone. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.